are in the middle of a, a series of messages called Designed for Destiny. It's on the screen there. And the reason that we're doing this is because you are designed for destiny. I am designed for destiny. And every time I say that phrase, designed for destiny, there's a part of me that gets a little bit angry. And let me just tell you why. Because I feel like, there, like so many things, uh, our, the, our enemy, the devil, wants to uh, steal the potency from something God intends to be so real in our lives. We are intended by God to know every day we wake up that we are under assignment, that we have been thought of, carefully uh, designed and put together for the fulfillment of God's purposes in our lives. But the enemy has taken this uh, term, destiny, and um, tried to strip it of its meaning by by, allow, by having, um, oh, I don't know, new age groups or whatever sort of co-opt it. And so I get a little bit angry with that. I'm trying to, as we move through these weeks, restore the sense of potency that is in that word. Even though you can't find it in the Bible, the truth of what that word expresses is from page to, from beginning to end, every page of the Bible. We have a God who is intentional about everything he does, and that includes you and me. And so that's why we're involved in this study, because we want to find out how more about how God put us together as unique creations and how we can fulfill his unique plans for us, because we do have a God who has a plan for us. He's not making it up as he goes. And there's no place in the Bible that describes it as well as Psalm 139, 13, and 16, where it says this, For you formed my inward parts, the deepest part of me, the real me. You covered or hovered over me in my mother's womb. And during my, uh, my becoming substance from um, two cells, what your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book, they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there was none of them. We have a God who, when you were being shaped in your mother's womb, was intentional about every detail of your development. And that continues to this moment. God has a plan for your life. I know what it feels like to be kind of carrying on with your life and not really have a, a, a vital sense of being in the flow of that stream of God's intentions for you. Sometimes life can seem really random and it can seem like you, you, you have to go in a thousand different directions at once. I believe that God would like to sharpen the focus a little bit for us so that some of that that uh, blurry, uh, confusing mess that life seems like will begin to take a more refined, defined focus that we could run the race that's set before us, like the Bible says, and know that we have a lane to run in. How helpful would that be? That's what God, I believe, wants for us to take away from these weeks together as we open his word. Now, there are a lot of things that go into the making of who you are from God's vantage point, but nothing more important than what we refer to as spiritual gifts. 
these divine deposits in your life that shape you to be the unique you. There are a lot of things that go into the shaping of your life, from your life's experiences to your talents to a lot of things. Uh, but nothing more important than the spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 6, to help us to understand that there are three types of spiritual gifts or spiritual deposits that God puts into our, or places into our life. It says there, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. That's describing the, the uh, gifts of the Father in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 8, that form the perspective that you come at life from. Have you figured out that people come at life from different angles? We see the world differently. We see circumstances differently. We, we respond to life differently. And I believe that part of that is God's unique design being played out in our lives that when you were born... The Father, God the Father, deposited into you certain um, uh, divine giftings that cause you to come at life from the angle that you do. And we need to celebrate that about ourselves and about each other. Stop trying to be somebody we're not and start really becoming the person that we are. So that's why we're looking at these and we'll find that there are seven of them. Prophecy, ministering, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, mercy. And I know that when I say those words, they don't sound like they're really relevant to you at first glance. Trust me, they are. And as we go through them and identify the strengths and weaknesses of each, you'll, you'll find yourself in there. Maybe not, uh, you know, maybe not just one of these gifts I, uh, um, describes you completely, but there will almost always be one of these that sort of leads the way and some others that are also uh, applicable to your life as well. But getting a feel for the leading edge of how God has given you your unique perspective in this world is really, really helpful. We're also looking, we will be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 and 11 to 12, where we'll be talking about the gifts of the Son that form your ministry passion. When you are born again, come to faith in Christ, all of a sudden you start to begin to have a passion for serving this one who has saved you. But how many of you know that Jesus is up to a lot of stuff in this world, and um, none of us can do everything or be involved in or be passionate about everything that Jesus is doing. But he begins to give us an arena of passion where we can um, make ourselves available to him to be useful to him in that area of what he's doing. And when we all are doing that, the full orbed picture of Jesus' work in this world is being accomplished. So we'll be talking about that. There's five gifts there, apostleship, prophecy, evangelism, pastoring, and teaching. And then there are the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. These are your power tools. If when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you are given by the Holy Spirit a full complement, a full complement, a complete toolkit of spiritual enablements that allow you, they provide for you the means to fulfill the ministry that you have become passionate about. 
Because you, you've figured out, I'm sure some of you, that we cannot fulfill the passion for ministry that God begins to stir in us out of our own strength. It's not possible. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And when all of these three categories of gifts begin to kind of take shape and focus in our lives, man, life gets a lot more a lot better. So there are uh, nine gifts of the Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. We've talked about those already this year, and so we are in the midst of looking at the gifts of passion and perspective, starting with perspective. And last week we talked about the strengths and weaknesses of prophecy ministering, and today we'll take teaching and exhorting. Is that Okay. Who said okay? Because I'll just talk with you since they're uh, <laughs> over there. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to assume that they were speaking for all of you, right? There's okay. All right. Now, we're going to look at a guy named Apollos, and that's why I asked you to turn to Acts chapter 18. We're going to get a little snapshot of what his life was like, because I think that he, among others, uh, exhibits the characteristics of the the perspective of teaching. So verse 24 of chapter 18, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being, fer excuse me, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. His understanding of of uh, the scriptures and of Jesus was still developing. He had only been taught about the, the baptism of repentance that John preached. He still didn't get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, other things. And so he, even though he was still developing in his understandings, he taught with accuracy, we're told. Verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Aquila and Priscilla, these are, this was a couple, a man and a woman, who Paul had led to the Lord and became uh, leading lights in the New Testament church, they heard him and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Hallelujah. We don't have to know everything out the gate, right? My understanding, yours, is in development. The things of God, you, you may feel like, well, I'm st I, man, a lot of this stuff I just don't get. Join the club, all right? But thank God we have uh, an opportunity to be learning, just like we're doing right now. We're learning together and developing our understanding, and so did Apollos. Verse 27, And when he desired to cross to Achaia or to Greece, the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him. So they sent with him a letter of introduction. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. So these are people who were already believers, but when Apollos showed up, coming from that perspective of a teacher, he was able to help them by his teaching and instruction. Verse 28, For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the, is the Christ. So he wasn't just a debater. He confronted the the false understandings of the religious Jews by showing them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So that's a little bit about uh, 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 Apollos. Out of those verses and some others that we won't turn to, I want to um, talk to you about the strengths and weaknesses because some of you 
uh, are coming at life from the teaching perspective. I certainly am. Every, and by the way, um, the, we have these little uh, pamphlets. We, we printed some more, so we have some of this available this morning after the service. If you want to pick them up, see one of the ushers. Um, there's notes in here about the things that we're talking about these days, but there's also some assessment tools, and they aren't, they're not holy or sanctified in any way, they're just, but they do help you to kind of get a little mirror held up to yourself to sort of see um, a little better focus on perhaps how you are gifted, how you are wired up. Every time I take one of these kinds of assessments, teaching always comes to the top, and so I am this guy, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm not a, I don't want to claim to be Apollos, but I'm, I'm the, I come from that perspective. So I'm very subjective about this this morning. I'm the, I'm the little kid when, you know, you were six years old and you wanted to sit down with a bunch of people and play shoots and ladders. I'm the guy who said, wait, wait, we got to read the, the, we got to read the rules. You know, that kid, that's me. And so I, 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 I have a stake in this this morning. I have a, a horse in this race, as they say sometimes. So I don't want to get, uh, I don't want to turn this all into about me. But just so you know, that's where I'm coming from. But some of you too. And whether you have um, a pulpit like I do that you teach from, or whether you are in any way um, carrying out a, um, what, what people would consider to be a teaching role in this world, it really doesn't matter. I know a truck driver who is, comes at life from the same perspective that I do. And everything about how, about that, he knows everything about that truck. And he can articulate it ref, with ref, um, refinement. There is, he, he just, he has that same perspective as me, but he, he lives it out in a different way. And that may be for you too. So because you are not a quote, quote, pastor, don't let yourself um, be disqualified from hearing what the Lord wants to say to you about, perhaps, about you. So anyway, the strengths and weaknesses. So um, <clears throat> people who come at life from this direction are usually articulate. They, they can put words together in sentences that make sense. I know for me, I, I'm sure I bugged my parents, but uh, when I was growing up, I could, I could uh, make sense, and so I could often kind of put them on their heels with my logic and you know they sometimes didn't know they were exasperated know how to deal with me so we can be articulate we can be we, we like to study we are studious where some people that's not so much <laughs> the case for them we like to know everything about everything my wife will often tell me stop it because I always, I'm probing people. When I, when I come to you and I ask you about what you do, what you do for a living, I'm not just being nice. I want to know. And I want to know how you do it so that I could do it sometime. Well, I'm not going to. But, you know, I, that's just how I approach things. I'm always, I want to know everything about everything. Kind of a curse. But anyway, studious is one of the things that we are. Concerned with accuracy. We don't sit next to me when I'm watching the news because I'm, I'll interrupt every so often with, wait a minute, that's not right. Where did they get that? You know, those kind of, that's me, right? In fact, one time I was, I was teaching a Bible study and I was, 
Um, I was talking about the difference between a couple of Greek words, the agape and phileo. They, they're, they're words that are translated as love in our, in our New Testament. They, they used one English word, love, to translate two Greek words, but the Greek has really different meanings. And anyway, I was, I was uh, teaching about that, and a guy called me after the Bible study, after I got home, and he said to me, he said, Randy, I said, you know, I looked you... I looked those words up in Strong's Concordance. Now, some of you would have no idea what that is, and that's fine, but a, a, a Strong's Concordance is a very exhaustive, big old thick book that uh, has every word in the Bible in it, and it's, you know, English word, and it's uh, uh, what it's translated from in, in Greek. You know, so you could, it's a very important tool that Bible teachers use. Anyway, he said, I looked that up, and you were wrong. You, I mean, honestly, I would have felt better if you just take me out in the backyard and shot me with a shotgun. <laughs> I'd have been happier. Because to feel like I was inaccurate, that I had misrepresented something, it's like the end of the world for me. Turns out, just to finish the story, turns out the edition of Strong's Concordance that he had was misprinted. Anyway, <laughs> edifying, um, you know, we, we want to, teachers want to build people up, you know, it's not, the, the end is not just that I can know a lot of things or communicate a lot of things, but I want for people to be built up. We see that in Apollos' life. He blessed and benefited people wherever he went. And uh, we are bold to refute error. In other words, if you, if you aren't, and I don't mean, you know, that we just want to debate people at the drop of a hat. I mean, if you have a little tweak in how you're understanding something about God or life, we, we want to help you to be able to understand what's true especially if you're believing something that's false. Now, here's the weaknesses. We can become very opinionated. You know this kind of person, right? And we can, we can lack perspective. You know, like I said earlier, when I, I used to, you know, when I'd be with my friends and we want to just, you know, they want to just play. They want to just have fun. And I want to make sure that we, you know, yes, have some fun, but make sure that you do it by the book, right? So we can lose sight of the bigger picture, and that's not a good thing. We can become disconnected from our learners. We can be so focused on the communicating, the learning and the, and the absorbing and the, and the communicating of truth that we can lose contact with the people that we are communicating to. I'll give you an example. The Apostle Paul, who's no slouch when it comes to teaching, was in the, on the third story uh, of, a, of a building, having a Bible study with people teaching, went way into the early hours of the morning, and he just, you know, he's on a roll, and that's what's important, not the fact that the people checked out a long time ago, including a guy named Eutychus who's sitting in the window, and actually fe fell asleep and fell out the window three stories to the, to the ground. They all thought that he was dead. He may have died. We don't know. It's not exactly clear in the, in the scripture. But they all thought he was dead. People, or Peter, uh, excuse me. Paul went downstairs, made sure he was breathing, got him going again, took everybody back upstairs and continued on. 
And some of you know, some of us, we can get kind of long-winded and so excited about some minute little detail and everybody else has checked out a long time ago. We can lose, we can become disconnected from the learners. Now let's talk a little bit about um, encouragement, the gift of exhorting or encouraging. And the person I want us to look at as an example in the scripture of this is a guy named Barnabas. And I want you to follow along with me. We're going to make our way through a number of... Uh, Scripture verses in the book of Acts. So turn to Acts chapter 4. And uh, we're going to note some of the strengths of the exhorting, encouraging gift. Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin at verse 36 where it says, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Notice a couple things. Notice that the apostles named him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Because they, they thought that he, he embodied this gift. And then, given the opportunity, he sold everything that he had and brought the money, the proceeds, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So the first thing I want you to see about encouragers is they value people over things. They value people over things. Now turn to, uh, to the right there a little bit to Acts chapter 9, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Who he's talking about here is a guy named Saul, who becomes the apostle Paul. And I think some of you know this story, but Saul was a persecutor of the church, and in fact, so much so that he, he uh, made it his mission to exterminate, I mean literally, exterminate Christians. But he had an encounter with the Lord that transformed his life. He became the Apostle Paul, the writer of many of the books of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But you can imagine that the Christians were not too ready to receive the fact that this Saul, who had been the persecutor of the church, is now one of us. They were a little skeptical about that. But Barnabas comes along and presents him to the leader's uh, of the church and stands up for him. And that's what we're reading about there in chapter 9, verse 27. And we see that encouragers are the ones who see the best in others. Listen, if you don't have an encourager in your life, find a way to be married to one. <laughs> no, no, if, if you're already married, forget what I just said. <clears throat> uh, but surround yourself with an encourager. We all need them. We all need one. Uh, my, among many things, my wife is, uh, is this gifting. And man, I, I treasure that gift from God. They see the best in others. And they also want to help, help people reach their full potential. Um, turn to chapter 11. Verse 23. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them with all, excuse me, encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. These are cheerleaders. 
Do you realize that you know, Sue isn't here today because she's with her dad, and um, I forgot to mention that earlier in the service, but you know, she sits through my preaching twice every Sunday, and then at the end of the day, she'll tell me how good a job I did, whether I did or not, cheerleading me. And man, that, that when I am especially vulnerable to all the second thoughts and what I didn't do and forgot to say or said wrong, whatever, to have that encouragement in my life is, a, is an amazing gift. Chapter 11, verse 19, or excuse me, 29. Then the disciples, um, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and said it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So they're, they're assembling a gift to take to the uh, believers in Judea because they were, um, they, they were in a time of persecution and famine. And so they were helping out. And what a better person to send this gift to because, or, or along with, because Encouragers are not only, uh, they, they encourage not only by word, but also by deed. They're practical. Uh, chapter 14, verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city uh, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them or encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So these people were going through tough times. But Barnabas is the one we're talking about here. And he's the one who came along and encouraged them. Yeah, things are tough, but God is still God. He's still going to lead us through this into victory and, and to blessing. That's uh, the encourager. One more. Chapter 15, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. Um, you know, uh, I won't, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of the story because it kind of bridges the strengths and weaknesses. This guy, uh, John Mark, had accompanied Barnabas and Paul on a missionary journey, but he, he wimped out on them and, and bailed on them. And so now well, they're getting ready to go out on another missionary journey, and Barnabas wants to, take, wants to redeem Mark, give him a chance to, to prove himself and take him along with, with him. And Paul says, no way. I'm not, I'm not going to rely on this guy. He's already burned me once. I'm not going to do it again. And the, the, the impact was so great that Paul and Barnabas actually split up their partnership over this issue. But what we want to see is that encouragers are loyal. They are loyal. They'll stay with you through thick and thin. But that's also the first of the weaknesses because they can become blinded by their loyalty and lose objectivity in relationship. And uh, so if you are a, a person who is an encourager, um, be careful. Stay loyal. Stay focused on that because that's such an important thing. But don't let it blind you. And then they can be reluctant to offend. Um, there was an occasion when 
in the church in Antioch, which was a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, it was primarily a Gentile church. And um, that was sort of an anomaly at the time because all the first Christians were Jewish. And the religion, or the, excuse me, the, the leaders of the church, the apostles, were still adjusting to that. Um, and so uh, Peter had come to visit Antioch, the Antioch church. And while he was there, because he had firsthand been used by God to bridge the gap from the Jews to the Gentiles, and the gospel crossed over that boundary through Peter's ministry, so he was good with it. He shows up there, and he eats with the Gentiles and the Jews all together, no problem. But then some other leaders from the church in Jerusalem came up, and now Peter makes a distinction. He pulls back from the Gentiles because he doesn't want to offend the Jewish leaders. But you know who else behaved that same way was Barnabas. Not for the same reason, but because as, a, as an exhorter, an encourager, he, he didn't want to be in a situation where he offended his Jewish uh, brothers. So that, that can be a weakness. It's a, I mean, it's a noble, I guess, a noble goal, but it's a weakness. And then finally, they are very susceptible to emotional burnout because they carry, they, 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 it's like they're carrying all of us, you know? They want us all to do well, all to be encouraged, all to be excited and blessed and fulfilled. That's a big, that's a lot to carry on your shoulders. And so they have to be careful that you don't, that you need to be careful that you don't carry too big of a, a burden with that. So what's the point of all this? We'll carry on and, and talk about giving, leading, and mercy in the next few weeks. And by the way, um, let me just say that doing it this way, or a little, in a piecemeal fashion, is a little difficult because along the way you can kind of see bits and pieces of yourself and wonder, well, which, what am I? And so that's why I encourage you to utilize the assessment tools that we have available to you, but also to hang with us through the end. Because if you haven't seen yourself yet, you will. It's still coming, right? And the point is that, as I've said before, this is not like some sort of parlor game. The point is not so that we can point to each other and say, oh, you're that, and you're this, and I'm that, and kind of chuckle about it. That's not the point. It's not even the point that it's interesting. That's, that's you know... The teacher in me would be excited about that. But, you know, that's not important, okay? What is important? What's important is that we get a little better handle on how God wired me up, wired you up, so we can find the lane that he's given to us to run in and begin to really make progress in pursuit of his plans and purposes for our lives without feeling like we've got to go every direction and be everything. This is recording number 11230 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 25, 2016. This is the third message in a series titled, Design for Destiny. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Your Perspective. Part 2.